Okay, uh, back again, and in the absence of any celebrity deaths or pop culture things that uh, I can talk about, we'll just do another medical topic uh, this time. And um, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Um, But, you know, I think I'm going to start doing like... um, open up a segment, maybe like call it this week in death or something, basically go over, uh, some of the things I'm seeing commonly at autopsy. And I have just been insanely busy lately. Um, it has been, uh, mind boggling, but one of the things I'm seeing a lot right now is fire and smoke inhalation deaths. Now, if you're a fan of the podcast, you've probably listened to my, podcast on carbon monoxide and fire and things like that. And every year from, you know, about November through March, that's kind of fire season. You know, I live in the North and, um, it's very cold, uh, during that time. So naturally there are more people, uh, building fires, using space heaters and things like that. Um, but yeah, I am seeing a completely disproportionate amount of people dying in fires and, um, I think I'm telling you this because, of course, as a forensic pathologist, I am part of the public health apparatus. So the things that I see need to be (laughs) passed along to the community. And, you know, forensic pathologists don't really get out there much in front of uh, the public and talk very much. In fact, I'm probably one of the only ones who is even somewhat visible online. I remember when I went to the national meeting, the last time I went to the national meeting, I gave a lecture actually to all of the forensic pathologists from all over the world that came on communicating via social media because that is the future. That's how we're going to recruit new people and things like that. And I had several people come up to me afterwards and they said, um, you know, I liked your talk. It was really good. However, I would never speak publicly on anything. And I'm like, okay, well, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to be hard to recruit and kind of show people what we do if somebody's not out there talking about it. Anyway, so that's what this podcast is partially, is to talk about some of the things I'm seeing. And I'm telling you this about fire and carbon monoxide because um, looking at these cases, Many of them are are shocking in that it feels like somebody should have been able to escape and didn't. Um, and I'm not going to go, I can't go into specifics because a lot of these cases aren't signed out. Uh, some of them may or may not have a criminal element, so I can't really speak specifically. But what I'm telling you is that, you know, check your carbon monoxide al- alarms, please. If you have a neighbors, elderly neighbors, uh, people with special needs, elderly family members, uh, or non-elderly family members. Just remind them to get their carbon monoxide alarms, change the batteries, make sure they work, and I think that maybe we could save a couple of lives doing that. Now, on to today's topic. So this is uh, basically about hypertension, okay? Not going to really do it as a case study because it's not really a mystery. It's just something so common that we see that I feel like it needs to be talked about because I think people, um, a lot of people don't even know they have hypertension. So um, let me just tell you where this comes from. First of all, I see a lot of deaths where one of the only findings with the body is a hypertensive heart. And I'll tell you what a hypertensive heart looks like in just a moment. But first I want to tell you a story of when I was 
uh, doing first doing autopsies in my training. And when we do autopsies, you know, usually you kind of have an idea of why the person died. Um, you know, it's a person that was in the hospital with cancer and then they had a sudden decline and they died and the family wanted an autopsy or, you know, it's a motorcycle accident or it's a gunshot wound and you know pretty much why they died. You're just doing the autopsy to document. And every now and then you'll get somebody who's found dead at home. That's the classic case. And so I had this this case. It was a man um, about 40, 42 years old, African-American male guy. He was in pretty good shape, actually. Uh, not overweight. Um, didn't have any bad habits that I was aware of or that we were aware of. And I do the whole autopsy. And really, to me, I say there's really not much with this guy. I have no idea why he died. So I guess we're going to have to just look at toxicology and see what happens. And anyway, when we do autopsies and we don't, we have like a negative autopsy, um, it usually is deferred to toxicology, meaning the person probably has some kind of substance in their system or something like that. And so that's not an uncommon thing is to do the autopsy and tell the family and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to hold this for toxicology. Well, I was talking to uh, my preceptor at the time who was kind of teaching me, you know, this is back before I was a, a Jedi master. Now, uh, this was when I was just a young Padawan forensic pathologist. And she said, well, okay, how much did the heart weigh? And I said, well, the heart, you know, it looks like it was about 520 grams. And she's like, whoa, 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 hold on. You told me the autopsy was negative. And I said, well, you know, I mean, I guess the heart was a little bit enlarged, and um, but I said there was nothing else, and she said, "Listen, uh, this is could be a hypertensive death. Uh, this alone can cause death." And it was even after going through medical school, it was a little bit unusual to see somebody who had no medical conditions and no nothing in their autopsy that would suggest a big problem, and a little bit of a enlarged heart, and that was enough. Well. It's true, um, especially having done 2,000 autopsies since that time, and I see it a fair amount, which is why I'm telling you about it. So we basically um, you know, looked at the heart, we looked at the parameters, the wall thickness, and things like that, and uh, we ended up signing that case out as hypertensive cardiomyopathy. And there's no, um, you know, toxicology. There was nothing in the toxicology, nothing weird, fentanyl, cocaine, anything like that. It was pretty much negative. The usual stuff that people have in their system, like caffeine, um, usually you you can't trigger and die of a caffeine overdose unless you take an enormous amount of it. In fact, there was a story in the news recently about a, a guy who took too much caffeine powder and died um, I know that people who listen to this uh, in the United Kingdom probably know this story because it was in the BBC where I, I read about that. We can talk about that at another time. But let's talk about hypertensive cardiomyopathy. So hypertension, what is it? Okay, high blood pressure. And my first introduction to high blood pressure was just my grandma. You know, I mean, like she, I remember she would take blood pressure medication and it was just something that seemed to be that would happen with older folk. And it was just a consequence of aging. And, um, and, and in fact, young people can have fairly significant hypertension. Uh, and so basically, like, you know, with hypertension, the numbers have changed over the years. Okay, when I went through medical school, um, I think it was something like 135 over 85, 140 over 90, something like that. And... 
now it's 120 over 80. So what do those numbers mean? Because now I know some people listening to this are medical professionals, medical students, uh, nursing students, things like that. They already know what this means. But a lot of people listen to my podcast and don't have any medical background. So this is for them. So the top number is what is called the systolic number. Okay, so that's the pressure in the blood vessels when the heart is actively beating. And then when the heart relaxes and the blood fills into the heart, that is called diastole, and that is the bottom number, okay? So now, um, over time, they have changed the, the numbers to 120 over 80. So every now and then, I'll take my blood pressure, and it's almost always over 120 over 80. It's like 125 over 88, and then I'm sitting here wondering, do I have an enlarged heart? That's the sort of <laughs> hypochondri- hypochondriac uh, state that a forensic pathologist gets into when they see this. Um, so, I'm telling you this because I think it's worth monitoring your blood pressure, even if you're a young person. This isn't just something for 75-year-olds. I'm talking like 25, 30, 35. You need to start looking at your blood pressure. And I say this because I have had a number of hypertensive cardiomyopathy deaths in people who are... Um, you know, late 30s, early 40s, uh, late 40s, not necessarily very old people at all, middle age, and yet uh, this can kill. You know, if you may have heard of hypertension referred to as the silent killer. Well, uh, that's because people often don't know they're hypertensive and it can cause death. So basically, we're going to talk about how can this cause death? What does the hypertensive heart look like? Well, first of all, let's just talk about the heart itself, okay? The heart itself, um, it's variable in weight. If you're a small person, let's say you're a woman, 110 pounds, and you're five foot one, something like that, you may have a heart that weighs 280 grams. Now, a man who is six foot six and 300 pounds may have a heart that's 550 grams. And both of those are normal. There's not just one uh, weight for a heart where you have to say, okay, above that, it is completely, uh, you know, hypertensive and you're going to die. No, it's not like that. So you kind of have to look at these in context of the patient. Um, Just like with anything, you always have to think about the context. But The thing for me that helps with deciding whether or not somebody has a pathologically enlarged heart is is to compare it to the size of the person. So again, if we go back to the example of a five foot one woman who has a 500 gram heart, that's way too big. Um, You know, that's that's not quite double, but you know, maybe uh, 40% too large. And so why is that? Why is that? First of all, why is it enlarged? If you have hypertension, which is high blood pressure, so the pressure in your blood vessels is elevated. Your heart is pumping against that high pressure. Now, you have to remember the heart is a pump. So as it beats every single time, it's just like when you flex your muscle in your bicep or you flex your muscle in your quadriceps or whatever. Excuse me. Um, Basically, it is working just like if you were to lift a weight, you're going to get a bigger bicep. Well, if you if your heart beats against high pressure, it's going to enlarge. And that may seem like a good thing. Oh, that's a healthy thing. I'm working my heart out. But the problem is the heart can actually get too large. And so we typically refer to this as left ventricular hyper, hypertrophy. Um, and to be more specific, concentric, which means the entire 
uh, vesc or uh, ventricle itself, concentric meaning all of it, um, the entire circumference of the ventricle. <clears throat> and so what we do is we, at autopsy, when we open up the pericardial sac, we see the heart there. Usually at that point, I know if it's an enlarged heart. And uh, for those of you who uh, have a little radiology background, when you look at a chest x-ray and you see that the heart is greater than one-third the width of the chest, you know that that heart is enlarged. That's usually the rule. Um, and then with me, I don't make such precise measurements. I've looked at so many hearts now. I can open a chest, open the pericardium, and immediately know if it's the heart's too big. In fact, um, it's sort of a parlor trick for me. I will also know pretty much the weight of the heart by looking at it. And anybody who's been in the room with me, who do, who's done autopsies with me, knows that I can pretty much guess within 10 grams how much a heart is going to weigh uh, based on looking at it. And uh, you know, the heart is enlarged immediately. I know it's enlarged. And then what we do is we take a large knife, okay? It's a, we call it a bread knife because it is a bread knife. And we cut the heart itself in about one centimeter uh, sections through kind of like the short axis of the heart, okay? Uh, or if you, if you draw uh, an, a line in the long axis of the heart, you're basically cutting perpendicular to that so that each slice shows the right ventricle and the left ventricle. So you can measure the wall thicknesses. So basically what I do is I cut those things and the uh, wall thickness of the left ventricle is what's most important to me in cases like this. So it should be about 1.5 centimeters, okay? So... Um, you know, I know that a lot of people listening to this don't don't deal in centimeters; they deal in inches. So this would be, uh, you know, maybe like not quite half of an inch. Um, one inch is 2.54 centimeters. If you want to do the calculation, the point is, if the wall thickness on the left ventricle, the left ventricular free wall, or the outside of the left ventricle, is greater than 1.5 cm, that is considered to be kind of a hypertensive change. Then you've got the septum. That's the wall between the left ventricle and the right ventricle. If it's greater than 1.5 cm, you're thinking about a hypertensive change. Now, we could go and do an entire podcast on asymmetric uh, septal hypertrophy, where the septum is actually um, the thickest part and the left ventricular free wall is fairly normal. That's a separate disease. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just talking about, in general, left ventricular hypertrophy, okay? And uh, so basically, I measure those. And by the way, I've done this before. I've talked about this before online. And I'll have like cardiac um, ultrasonographers. And they always um, love to try to, you know, correct me on that. And they'll say, um, you know, actually, you've gotten that wrong. This is the correct number. And so the thing is, they're not wrong. And actually, I'm not wrong either. Here's the difference. When you're measuring those wall thicknesses in a living patient, it is different because there are physiologic activities occurring, okay? There, the ventricle is filled with blood and there is an actual pressure. When I measure it, there is no blood in the ventricle and there is no blood pressure. So naturally, there's going to be less pressure exerted on the wall and therefore the thickness will be different. So if you're a cardiac ultrasonographer and you're listening to this and you're already typing a message about how you're going to tell me that I'm wrong, no, you're right and actually so am I. We just have to consider different physiologic states. I wouldn't use cardiac ultrasonography numbers to determine left ventricular hypertrophy just like 
ultrasonographers would not use autopsy measurements to determine that. So we have to kind of like respect each other's fields there. Uh, the point is concentric left ventricular hypertrophy. So why does it matter? Well, the theory is that if you have increased muscular thickness of the wall, you thereby have an increased oxygen demand for that muscle. Now, if you have an, uh, a muscle like your, your chest or your arms, your legs, and uh, they're kind of running out of oxygen, they're going to be a little bit of pain. You maybe get a cramp or something like that. But in the heart, when that happens, you can actually have an arrhythmia. Okay, so if your heart is beating as fast as it possibly can uh, and you're working really hard, you've got too thick of a heart or perhaps your uh, blood vessels there are not delivering the blood effectively, you're going to have decreased oxygen. When you have decreased oxygen and blood flow, this is called ischemia. That's the name of the, uh, or that's the word for it. And that can make the myocardium, which is the muscular wall, what we call myocardial irritability, which means it can go into an arrhythmia. So most of the people I see uh, when I do autopsies on these is uh, they probably, the mechanism of death is a fatal cardiac arrhythmia. They were working too hard, whether it was um, shoveling snow. I've seen it happen with people working out. I've seen it, um, uh, you know, people running races or riding a bike, something like that. You do the autopsy, everything's negative except the heart is enlarged. And so we can presume that what happened was that there was a cardiac arrhythmia because the heart simply wasn't getting enough oxygen. Now, you can have completely clear coronary arteries, beautiful, wide open, patent coronary arteries, and a thick heart muscle, and that's still enough to die, okay? Now, when you add in calcif calcified coronary arteries, occluded or stenosed coronary arteries where you have a lot of blockage, that's going to make it even worse, okay? So, um, you know, this is why I'm telling you, please check your blood pressure. Just keep an eye on it. Um, there are a lot of causes for high blood pressure. Sometimes it's a benign essential hypertension where it's not caused by something else. But um, I'm not going to go into all the causes of high blood pressure because then we get into the kidney, um, you know, renal artery stenosis and uh, renin secre secreting tumors and things like that. Um, I just want to give you the basics of why a hypertensive heart uh, can cause problems. Now, interestingly, um, and I, I think I had a picture of this on my Instagram at some point, it may still be there, um, which by the way is anatomy and the dead. If you want to go look at it, there's something, uh, a phenomenon called a bovine heart. So this is a person who has such a severe hypertension that the heart itself is the, like a cow's heart. So I know you're probably thinking, well, that's great, Dr. Wolf. I don't know what a cow's heart looks like. I don't dissect cows. But the idea is that a cow is such a large mammal that it has a gigantic, thick heart to pump blood to all of its musculature and all of its body. And so, uh, you know, a normal human heart should be as soft and pliable, but a bovine heart, it's hard. It almost feels like if you felt a softball or a volleyball, kind of like, the, you know, how you can kind of squeeze it in, but not quite. Um, that's pretty much what a bovine heart is like. So sometimes that term will be used even in autopsy reports. I don't tend to use that term because I don't want the family to, you know, uh, try to contact me and say, are you saying my loved one has a cow heart? You know, I don't want people to be confused. So um, I would also say not just you listening, 
consider your loved ones, husbands, wives, um, mom and dad, sisters and brothers, things like that. Keep an eye on your blood pressure. It doesn't mean you have to check it every day, but you know, you should at least do a measurement every couple of months if you're not, you know, if you're a person who's not worried about it. And um, just keep an eye on it because this is something that can cause a lot of problems. Um, most people don't know they have this high blood pressure. So we're going to talk about a couple of other problems you can have with high blood pressure undiagnosed. One is a, like an aortic dissection. Okay. So there, again, there are many reasons for aortic dissection. You can have diseases like Marfan syndrome or other connective tissue diseases that causes the blood vessel to be weak. But you have to consider in the aorta, if you have very high pressure for a very long time, that's eventually going to damage the lining of the blood vessel. And if you have a little uh, you know, defect in the intimal lining, the inside of the blood vessel, and that blood leaks in there, you can start dissecting. You can die from a dissecting aorta pretty quickly. So likewise, you have um, hemorrhage in the brain itself. So there's a couple of different ways this can cause problems. One is if you already have an existing aneurysm, even if it's small. Um, an aneurysm is by definition a weak a weakened blood vessel, and if you increase the pressure in that, it can pop, and then about 50% of the people that have that happen die. Okay, so aneurysms, and most of us don't know. We don't have uh, uh, magnetic uh, resonance uh, angiography of our heads, um, so we don't know if it's in there. We hope it's not. And then secondly, you can have a plain old intracranial hemorrhage where you can't really find the source of the bleeding. And actually, the, just in the last couple of weeks, I've had a couple of these where the person had a big, huge blood clot at the base of their brain or inside the brain itself. So an intraparenchymal hemorrhage. Um, that is very commonly associated with hypertension. And then you have hemorrhage within the pons, which is sort of part of the brainstem, um, called a pontine hemorrhage, or there's a special name for it, Dure hemorrhage. It looks like it's spelled Duret, capital D-U-R-E-T, Dure hemorrhage. And um, it's named after the guy, you know, who discovered it. But um, I remember one case I had was a, an Asian male. He was uh, late 30s, and he was a healthcare worker. And he basically was found dead at home. He was just, you know, it was a very, it was a very shocking thing because he didn't know he was sick. Nobody knew he had problems. I did the autopsy and uh, other than being a little bit overweight, fairly healthy guy, but then I got to his brain and cut and didn't look too bad in the brain actually. But when I started to cut the brain stem and I started to cut the pons, all this blood poured out. So this guy had a pontine hemorrhage. Uh, and then his heart was enormous. It was like 700 grams. So this is a person who had no idea, uh, you know, by medical records, we know that they uh, didn't go to the doctor very often. They didn't have their blood pressure checked, whatever. And so uh, basically you had the pontine hemorrhage here. Now, why, why can, is the pontine hemorrhage bad? Hemorrhage in the pons. Because the brainstem is the, is the area 
that controls your breathing and your heart rate. So if you have damage to your brainstem, um, you're going to die quickly, you know, seconds, basically. So um, this is, you know, one of the manifestations. I don't see DeRay hemorrhages or Pontine hemorrhages very often. Uh, maybe once a year, I'll see a case like that. Most of the time with my hypertensive deaths, you just have a person who's uh, doing something active and then they fall over dead. And we open them up, we find that they have a big, huge heart. Okay, so <clears throat> that is the story of what we see with these uh, particular hypertensive deaths. And uh, been seeing that a little bit more over the last six months uh, to 12 months. Uh, a lot of people uh, we think maybe aren't getting uh, health care and getting medical care uh, because, you know, the pandemic was continuing to rage on. So people are avoiding going to the doctor, getting their uh, well checks and things like that. Um, other times it's simply just access to insurance. People don't want to spend the money on health care. They don't want to see the doctor. They don't trust doctors. Um, and then they die at home of these hypertensive deaths. So, um, you know, I guess my message to you, again, as a part of the public health apparatus, is check your blood pressure. Keep an eye on it. You don't have to be obsessive about it. Um, if it's, you know, a little over 120, over 80, like mine, you're probably okay. But, you know, when you start seeing things like uh, 150, 160, 180... 190, you know, you're really getting some high blood pressure there. Diastolic is really important. Uh, when you start seeing that diastolic number going up, uh, you know, 90, 95, 100, you really need to get that checked out and get that treated. Um, you know, there, there are effective medications for hypertension. And, uh, you know, again, there are other causes. Remember, we, uh, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about the pheochromocytoma is a tumor cause. But only about 1 in 100,000 or 1 in 500,000 people have a pheochromocytoma, so not a common cause of hypertension. So, um, But you do have to you know, consider all these other causes. Certainly, uh, hypertension or high blood pressure that is not responsive to medical therapy may be a, uh, a, set, a cause unrelated to the the typical, uh, you know, baseline hypertensive stuff. So, um, you know, I guess that's it. I guess I just wanted to tell you guys about that. Talk a little bit about the kind of things I'm seeing um, at at autopsy, and you know, maybe we'll have something more interesting to talk about. But I also uh, wanted to share that experience because when I first started my career, I didn't appreciate the danger. Um, and the pervasiveness of hypertensive deaths. So I know that there are uh, people who listen to me who are medical legal death investigators, deputy coroners and coroners and things like that. And it is perfectly okay to sign a case out as hypertensive cardiomyopathy. And then, of course, manner being natural in cases like this, especially if you've got a case you don't want to autopsy, maybe because the person's older, their only standing diagnosis is hypertension. That's perfectly okay. That is a, a very acceptable cause of death. Um, and so that's it for now. And uh, next time, maybe we'll do something more fun. This is more of an educational podcast. And then, um, you know, uh, hopefully I'll be able to put one out sooner than later, although I have been insanely busy. I think I've done 20 autopsies in the last six days. So that's a lot for one person. 
And um, I guess if you have any questions, just uh, you know how to reach me. And of course, again, my social media is The Dead Letter over at TikTok, Anatomy in the Dead at Instagram, and then Knife After Death is the YouTube channel. Um, you can also go to the website Knife After Death, which is kind of a, a blog we've been working on. Uh, but uh, otherwise, that's it, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>